All right, so Luke chapter 4, verses 16 and following, actually, Jesus, let me give you the backdrop. It's his, the beginning, the debut of his public ministry. He shows up in his hometown in Nazareth, and um, what he does is after returning from being tempted in the wilderness, he goes into the synagogues and he's teaching. And when he comes to Nazareth, which was his boyhood home, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stands up to read the scriptures. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah is handed to him. He unrolls the scroll and he finds the place where it is written. This is verses 18 and 19 of Luke chapter 4. But Jesus is actually reading from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. How many knew that this morning? Awesome. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, is what he says. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see. Wow. That the oppressed, or those who are captive, will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Amen. Now, when Jesus talks about the time of the Lord's favor, and you'll see in some different translations, it says the acceptable year of the Lord. Most scholars believe what he's referring to there is the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, they had what was called the year of Jubilee. And that time, slaves were released, debts were forgiven, and property was restored to the original owners. So it's a symbolic picture of how God frees his people, how he restores to his people. And so Jesus said, I've come to fulfill what was a type and a shadow. And he said, and I've come to bring the substance into your life so that you can experience freedom, emancipation from sin, emancipation from bondage, and then you will experience all that God has in store for your life because the time of the Lord's favor, yes, the set time has come. Isn't that awesome? And it says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1, that Paul is speaking, he's saying, you know, in the day of salvation, God has heard you. And in the acceptable time, he's had favor upon you. And then Paul says this, now, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time where God accepts you, the time of God's favor. So if you think that it's pointing to something in the future, you have to realize that Jesus said that he came and he literally fulfilled the, the actual feast or, or the, the year of Jubilee. Jesus came to fulfill that. Today, on the Hebrew calendar, is a new year. Did you know that? Today is what we would call, Rosh, what they call Rosh Hashanah. It's, the, it's a new year for the Jewish people. And on the 8th of October is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And so what they're doing over the next few days is they're going to be mourning. In fact, we have a Jewish group. Um, we're not talking about Messianic Jews that will be here tonight celebrating Rosh Hashanah. And guys... It's a time of repentance, it's a time of mourning, but they 
don't have the truth that Jesus came to fulfill all of these feasts. They're still looking for a Messiah. They're still looking for someone who will come to set them free. But Jesus said, I've come and I've fulfilled it all. I've come to set you free. I'm proclaiming good news to the poor that the captives can be released, that the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free. Because now, today, is the day of the Lord's salvation and of his favor. Jesus went around doing good when he was on the earth and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That's what it says in Acts chapter 10, 38. He went around. That means he was intentional. Doing what? Good. God is good all the time, right? And healing how many? All who were oppressed of the devil. Everyone he came in contact with, he healed. He delivered them. He set them free. That's what the Bible says, healing all. I'm quoting from Acts chapter 10, verse 38. I'm not sharing with you the gospel according to Glenn. This is what the Bible says, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Every person that Jesus came in contact and they responded in faith received healing in different ways in their lives. Think of Mary Magdalene. Think about the apostles, many, many others, multitudes. And the purpose for God delivering and healing his people is given to us in the next verse in Isaiah 61. Remember, Jesus is quoting from the 61st chapter of Isaiah. So the very next verse, verse number 3, here's what he says. The purpose for God delivering and healing and restoring his people, according to Isaiah, is that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Wow, what is that about? God didn't just come to heal us, to deliver us, to set us free, so we can just say, praise God, I'm free, and do our own thing. He came to establish us. He came to root us and ground us in his righteousness. And when you're righteous in Christ, you do the right stuff. You do the right thing. And what is that? He said that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Why? That he might be glorified. That God would be glorified by your life. You have a purpose to be here on the earth. And it is God's plan that you know his freedom, that you know that truth that can deliver you and make you whole for the purpose of being grounded and rooted in his righteousness so that you can become a tree of righteousness planted by him, established so that you can give glory to him. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus says in Luke 6, 47 and 48, he's speaking about the person who is rooted and grounded in his truth. And this is what he says. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Did you hear that? Here's Jesus said. I will show you what it is like when someone comes to me, they listen to my teaching, and then they follow it or they obey it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. Wow, think about that. Jesus says, when the floodwaters rise, when the storm comes. He didn't say if the floodwaters rise, if the storm comes. He said when. 
Guys, it's going to happen. Make no mistake about it. There are going to be storms in life. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be adversity. You're going to be tested. Your faith is going to be stressed. There are going to be times when you don't know what to do. But the Bible says if you are a person who has listened to the word of God and is applying it to your life, then what happens is you are established. It's like a person who built their house. They hewn that rock out and they built on that foundation. As a result, when the winds blow, when the storm rages, nothing is going to topple that house because it is established on the proper foundation. And Jesus is saying that's what our life is to be like. You know, he's called us to be trees of righteousness. The actual Hebrew word means an oak, a strong tree, a tree that has roots. And he's saying that's what we're called to be like, oaks of righteousness. Guys, we're called to be oaks, not tumbleweeds. God wants us to be established in him so that no matter what happens in life, we are able to endure. We can survive the violent winds, the adverse climate, whatever experience we have in life, we are not moved. We are not shaken because we are built upon this foundation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. And he is our rock. The Bible says that he is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. He is the one. And as we look into the scripture, I want to show us this morning that there are three specific ways, three actual areas in which we are to be established or planted in the Lord. As I said, this title of this sermon this morning is The Power of a Planted Life. God wants you to be planted in at least three different areas. First of all, he wants you to be planted in truth. He wants you to be planted in his word. In John chapter 15, Jesus speaks of the absolute imperative of believers bearing fruit. He says in verse number 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to do what? To go and to produce lasting fruit or fruit that remains. Again, in verse 8, Jesus says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. So guys, there is no such thing as a Christian who does not bear fruit. Jesus said, you either make the tree good or the, or the, tr- or the fruit. He said, if the tree is good, the fruit will be there. So Years ago, Martin Luther said, it's not the fruit that makes the tree good, but it's the tree that makes the fruit good. So if the tree is good, if the tree is rooted in good soil, if the tree is, our lives, so to speak, is rooted in Jesus Christ, we will bear much fruit. If we abide in him, if we stay connected to him, in other words, we're going to bear much fruit. A lot of times as Christians, we think it's our responsibility to bear the fruit, but that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said that every branch that abides in him will bear much fruit. Bearing fruit is a promise, but abiding is the process. And if we will, if we will abide in him, we will bear fruit. But we have to learn to abide. We have to do our part, and we will bear much fruit. In verse 6 of John 15, he says, if we don't bear fruit, he said, the tree doesn't bear fruit. Then he's saying, it's, the tree will be cut down. It'll be thrown into the fire because it's useless. There has to be spiritual productivity in our lives. What is fruit? 
First of all, fruit. We look at many places in the New Testament. The Bible talks about fruit. There's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. James 3, 18, we're told about the fruit of righteousness. Over in Hebrews, he talks about the fruit of our lips giving thanks. There's so many different ways that we can talk about it. Even when you give to the poor and when you give, the Bible says it's fruit that abounds to your account. But what is fruit? If we were to summarize it very uh, simplistically, I would say this. Fruit is the external manifestation of the invisible life that is in a tree or a plant. Fruit is the external, the outward manifestation of the invisible life that is in a tree or a plant. Because there's life in that tree, in that plant, there will be fruit. And that's what he's saying. If we're connected to the source, if we're connected to the vine, Jesus, we will bear fruit. It will be evident in our lives. We will manifest the life of Christ. That will include the fruit of the Spirit. That will include doing good things. It will literally reflect in every area of our life because we're not going to be bearing or producing the works of the flesh, but what we are manifesting is the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, the very nature of Jesus in us. And you know, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of these things. And that's not an exhaustive list. He's just saying, this is part of it. This is a snapshot. And this is what happens when we learn to abide, you know? The Bible says that the peace of God shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say the peace of being a good person. It says the peace of God. And when you trust him and when you look to the Lord and when you're truly his child and have been born again and you pray and you cast your cares upon him and you worship him, the Bible says that his peace will guard your heart and mind. The peace of God. What do you think? Do you think God gets stressed out? Do you think that God says, I don't know what I'm going to do? Like God has a problem sleeping at night? No, and it's that same peace that he says is ours, is available to you and me. We can have that same peace if we learn to abide in him. It's the peace of God we're talking about. He adds his super to our natural, and what takes place is we live as witnesses of Christ who walk in that perfect peace, that perfect love, that perfect peace that casts out fear. Hallelujah. But the source of all of this, Jesus says, is verse 7 of John chapter 15. Listen to this. Listen to this. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it shall be granted. Wow. In the Greek language, Koine Greek, the word anything means anything. That's profound, isn't it? You may ask for anything you desire, you like, and it shall be given to you if you abide in me. Well, somebody said, well, God is in Santa Claus. Yeah, I know. If you abide in him, you're going to ask according to his will. You're going to have a pure heart. Absolutely. But the bottom line is, guys, many of us, we don't ask. We don't, we don't believe. We don't, we don't put the big stuff before God. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, he's able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. So he can do 
exceedingly abundantly or immeasurably more than what we could ask or think, why don't we ask big? To quote Donald Trump, ask bigly. (laughs) Why don't we do that? Seriously. Ask. Ask. You have not because you ask not. In in Psalm 2, he says, ask of me and I will give you nations. Nations. I'm going to give you nations. I'm not just going to help you with this small stuff. Of course, God can do that. He loves us and he cares about that. But he's saying, how about some nations? How about starting to pray for the transformation of this nation? How about pray that this nation would be restored to God? How about praying that this city would be saved? How about praying that God would impact even other nations? Come on. So we're planted in truth. You know, there's so many voices vying for our attention today. You know, Satan will use any means possible to lure us down a pathway that places us outside of the will of God. And what happens is he will use deception. And if we listen to what he's saying, and if we're not being um, very sensitive to the leading of the Lord, we end up becoming deceived, and we go down a pathway that is not the will of God for our lives. Deception leads to disappointment. And disappointment, if it's not dealt with, will eventually morph into discouragement, into being demoralized, then devastation, and ultimately destruction. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. It may seem right, but it leads to death. There's a way. There's a way. There's a pathway. The Hebrew word is derek. It means there is like a roadway. There's a pathway that you can go down. And you think this is, this is the way of God. And, and, but ultimately, it's a pathway of destruction. So we need to know. We need to discern what is our voice, what we're dealing with in our emotions, the voice of hopelessness, the voice of sorrow, the voice of self, the, the voice of, of insecurity and, and personal condemnation. We need to be able to discern what is the voice of the enemy. And even at times, people, people that are close to us, very well-meaning people, speak to us and they give us counsel, but it's not the will of God for our lives. And they try to discourage us even at times from going the way of the Lord. Or there's other times where they try to encourage us to go in a different way. And it's incumbent upon each one of us individually to be able to know the voice of God, to be able to know what is his will, and to be able to make a decision predicated upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and experiencing not only a Lagos message from God, knowing the scriptures, but also a rhema word from God, knowing specifically what he's saying to me and you in this season in which we live. Read the word. God wants to reveal himself to you. Get alone with God. Ask him, Lord, I'm in a quandary here. I'm at an impasse. I don't know which way to go. You promised me That whether I turn to the right or to the left, that I will hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way. Walk in it. 
You promised me that you will lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You have assured me that you are good God and that you will lead me. And I want to look to you and trust in you. And I need to know your will in this situation. Begin to get alone with God. I shared this story Wednesday night of a pastor and his wife in Nigeria, Africa. This happened a few years ago. It was on Christmas Eve. They were about to celebrate the holiday, and they got in an argument. Yes, pastors argue with their spouse. And they got into an argument, and he was so upset that he got in the car, and he sped down. They lived on top of a mountain in Nigeria, and he began to descend upon this winding road, and then the brakes went out on his car. There was a concrete barrier that they had installed to try to stop this thing from happening. He slammed into that concrete barrier. The steering wheel went right through his chest and killed him instantly. They rushed him to the hospital. They tried to resuscitate him, but he died. They took him, placed his body in the morgue. They began the process of embalming him. His wife found out about it. She was devastated. Can you imagine the guilt? And she began to pray. And she began to cry out to God. Didn't you love that last song we sang today? Waymaker. That comes from Nigeria, that song. And you know what? They began to, she began to pray. And she got a word from the Lord. The Lord spoke to her through a scripture. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11. And it says, there are women who received their dead back to life again. She knew that the Lord was speaking to her. She said, Lord, are you saying you're going to raise my husband back to life? She said she had such peace that this was the will of the Lord. She went to the the mortician And asked him, please release my husband's body. I've heard there's a man of God going to be preaching the gospel in the next city. And I want to bring my husband's body there. Of course, they laughed. They had actually even had had a funeral by this time. It was a few days later. And they began to laugh and mock. But she took his body in a casket and had it transported to this church where the great evangelist Reinhard Bonnke was preaching. They walked inside. Security had opened up the coffin to make sure there was no bombs in it. There was an actual dead body. And they allowed him to take this body of this man and put him in the basement of the church. There's no guarantee that Reinhard Bonnke would pray for him, but will allow you to bring his body into the basement of the church. They removed the body from the coffin and placed him on a table. Guys, rigor mortis. He was dead as dead. They began to pray. They began to gather around him. And she said, I've got a word from God. God is going to raise my husband back to life again. After a period of time, they began to look. And his chest was rising. He started breathing. They started massaging his 
extremities. And the next thing you know, in a period of just probably 20 minutes or so, this man was up, alive, walking, and talking. Guys, it freaked everybody out. When he went back to his village and he walked into the village where they had already had kind of a a service for him, this guy came alive. This story is called Raised from the Dead. It's on YouTube. You can watch the video. They made a documentary about it. But it was this faith, this tenacious faith of one woman who said, God has spoken to me and he has given me a word that my husband will live again. And she did not give up. Listen, God can do anything. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? When Jesus went to Mary and Martha, when Lazarus was dead, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? They said, oh Lord, we know he'll, he'll rise again. At the great resurrection, he'll come to life again. We know that. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if I say it's time for him to come back to life here and now, it's going to happen. But then he challenged them. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that nothing is impossible for God? That's one good thing. But the Bible says that's not enough. Because the devil believes that. Demons believe that according to the book of James and tremble. It's not enough. The Bible says that we have to have faith. And if we have faith, nothing will be impossible for us. Matthew chapter 17. Nothing will be impossible for those who believe. We need to know the will of God. We need to be rooted and grounded in his word. We need to hope against hopelessness. We need to believe when things seem impossible in the natural. We need to be able to know what God is saying about the situation because he alone determines the outcome for those who have faith in him. So read the word. Meditate on it. Ask God to quicken a word to your spirit and then obey it. Believe it. Have faith and obey it. Even speak it. Lord, I believe. You told me. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep believing. And against all hopelessness, I'm going to believe. Well, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. That is a bunch of nonsense. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. If God wants to do it, he'll do it. He says, I look for a man. I look for someone to stand in the gap. I'm looking for a person who will believe. If God's just going to do it, then why did Jesus tell us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done if it's just going to be done automatically by default? He needs a people who will cooperate with him, who will stand on the truth of his word and will believe it. He needs a people that can believe that these dead bones will live again. He needs a people that will pray it, will declare it, will decree it. He needs a people that will believe no matter what your situation looks like, their situation looks like, that God can turn it around. We need to be planted in his word. Secondly, we need to be planted in prayer. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says this, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. 
Listen to this. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Listen. If you read the preceding verses, he talks about those who literally dry up in times of persecution. They don't survive. They certainly do not thrive. They dry up. But he says, listen, the righteous, those who hope in the Lord and make him their confidence. The idea literally is make them, make him their refuge, their safe place. Those people, he says, are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. And he actually says that these people will bear fruit in all seasons. No matter how dry, no matter how adverse things look like, they will continue to bear fruit. A tree that is planted by the river, regardless of how much drought there is surrounding it, will bear fruit. A tree planted by a river has a taproot. And that taproot, which is situated directly below the trunk of the tree, almost has this sense of smell. And it will begin to, it will begin to dig deep. It will begin to, to tunnel tirelessly and, and extend its roots, as this translation says, that they have roots that reach deep until they find life, until they find the source of sustenance. And the Bible says that for the person who trusts in God, for the person who makes the Lord their refuge, adversity will only draw them closer to God because they will extend their spiritual roots in quest of the living waters of salvation. They will persist and pursue until they break through into abundance. They find the source of their sustenance in their adversity, in their hardship, in their trials, and they break through and they lack nothing. They find that God is faithful, that he can be trusted, and that he is a good God, and that he still provides and does miracles today. God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God, in our adversity and our hardship is actually testing us. Will we go deeper? Sometimes the Lord even dries things up all around us with the intention that we would not perish in the wilderness, but that we would seek him at the river. Guys, it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. Do you believe the word? It goes back to the first part. Do you believe the word? You say, I am in the wilderness. I am in a dry place. I don't have anything here. Things are drying up. There's no life. It's all about perspective. The Bible says you are a tree that is planted by the river. I don't see the river. Let God be true and every man a liar. There is a river. That river is from the throne room of God, and it's there. All you need to do is tap into it. You just need to extend your roots and go deeper, and God has promised you that you will find the life. And you're going to bear fruit, even in adversity. So be planted in prayer. Be planted in his word. Thirdly and lastly, be planted in God's house. This is so important, guys. The power of a planted life. Be planted in God's life. Psalm 92, 12 through 15. 
The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Listen to this. Because they are planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. For those of you who might be getting up in age, it says this. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Listen to this. Proclaiming the Lord is upright. He's my rock. There's no wickedness in him. I find this very interesting, this last verse. It's speaking to people that get older, that they're going to bear fruit in old age. They'll stay fresh and green, and they're going to proclaim that God is upright. He is their rock. There's no wickedness in him. Why would he say this? The natural tendency for us as human beings... The older we get, the natural tendency, if we don't guard our heart and we don't have the grace of God, is we can become cynical. When all you see, particularly, is negativity, and there's some people that have jobs and that's what they see. They see the nasty underbelly of certain segments of society. They're dealing with constant problems and, and challenges and so on. And these people... Think about police officers. Think about people working in a cancer ward, in, an, in a hospital, and the things that they say. And it's so easy in the natural to become cynical, to become jaded. But God says, guard your heart above all things, for out of it flows the issues of life. The life spring comes from there. If a heart isn't guarded, it's so easy. But what does he say? Those who are planted in God's house those who are planted in his house. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 25, this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. We need one another. We need to come together. In my study, I found something out interesting about oak trees. Do you know that oak trees really don't have deep roots? Oak tree roots lie about 18 inches under the soil. However, they may spread to occupy a space four to seven times the width of the tree's crown. Interestingly, these particular trees, I have a a picture. These particular trees, do you know what they do? They actually have a complex root system that interfaces and communicates with the other trees. Contrary to what Darwin taught, these trees are not really individuals in the sense that they are competing for the survival of the fittest. That's not even true. On the contrary, they are a community. They are a community that interacts with the goal of helping each other survive. Through the connected root system, carbon and nitrogen is distributed to whatever tree needs it the most at a given time. Isn't that interesting?
The other interesting thing is every one of these trees is different in some way. And in fact, scientists have actually proven that it's the diversity of the community that enables the trees to be resilient. Come on now. Well, some of us, we, we don't like, you know, people that are different than us. Do you understand that God has put diversity in his body? Because we need one another. To be resilient, we need that diversity. Good Lord, can you imagine if everybody was like you? But God particularly created this diversity. Because in that diversity, we become strong and resilient. We need one another. We were created for community. There's also something in in this grove, in this this forest of oak trees. There's what they call the dominant tree or, or the mother tree or the parent tree. That's the oldest tree typically. But it's stronger and more mature than the other trees. And in fact, it's the primary source of sustenance and the life of the rest of the trees in a network. Come on now. Somebody say, well, I'm older. What can I do for the Lord? What can I give? The Bible says, I write to you men, right? Because you are fathers. You have something to give. You have something to invest. The church was never intended to be just one age group. The church is to be a family. And those who have walked with the Lord for a long time, those who are mature and strong in their faith, can be the primary source of sustenance for the life. And interestingly, one scientist says that when this mother tree begins to die... What happens today typically is in modern forestry practices is they begin to cut it down. But in doing so, they have actually failed to allow the tree to pass on its legacy to the new generation. They cut down the tree when it's dying to make timber, but they have not given it a chance to give back to the community because these dying trees actually move resources to the newer trees, to the younger ones coming up before they completely collapse. It's a transfer, a passing of the baton, so to speak. We were not created to live alone. We we're created to live in community. We need one another. That's why the Bible says this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. Because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 in the Passion Translation. We need one another, guys. There's power in being planted. There is power in being planted. Many people that wonder, why is my life difficult? Because you have no roots. As I said jokingly earlier, you're more like a tumbleweed tossed to and fro. God wants to ground you. He wants you to have deep roots. But he also wants you to be connected to a network, a root system, a community, so to speak.